Welcome to another classic bombastic dual shock controller has a haptics episode of the Reclassico podcast. My name is Alex Young, and joining me, having celebrated his one year anniversary, so he isn't maidenless, is the Elden Lord himself, Schaefer Edwards. Schaefer, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, y'all. Thanks for having me. And also joining me, I had a separate joke, but I totally forgot it. So he's still looking for the vampire and vampire survivors. It's Dylan Jones. What's up, Dylan? Welcome to the pod. Yeah, what's up? Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Do you remember the joke we came up with beforehand? I totally forgot. Oh, it was it's not war. Yeah, the, the boy himself. I don't know. The boy himself. Shockingly, the, the boy joke is not available in this podcast, as in it wasn't available in that game. They only used the, the name once. Um, but we'll be talking about Ragnarok plenty this time. To give the listener a quick agenda of what's going down on this episode, uh, we're talking about our year in gaming. We're going to be talking about our experience sitting on our couch, playing video games, however, whatever systems we decide to play them on. Then we're going to give you a quick top five list, counting down our top games of 2022. And then we'll, at the very end, we'll have a little spoilers discussion about the game we just played, God of War Ragnarok. So if you're, if you haven't played yet and you don't want to be spoiled, you can, we'll, we'll give you a warning. You can cut off the podcast then. But until then, we're going to talk about it. With that, it's been a busy year. There have been a lot of games to play. I've personally felt like I've played more games this year than last year, where everyone was trying to get that PS5, and then we all managed to somehow get it for this year. Um, But with that, I want to throw it over to Schaefer. Schaefer, how would you summarize your year in gaming this year? My year in gaming has been interesting. It's been a pretty down-the-middle mix of kind of big blockbuster releases coming up, trying to be as close to the zeitgeist I can with those. I'm primarily on the um, Sony PlayStation side of things. Um, for full disclosure, my primary gaming methods are my PS5 and my Nintendo Switch. Um, so kind of a mix of kind of big AAA and kind of catching up on a lot of games from years past that... I had not um, either given a chance or hadn't gotten around to, um, mostly from the kind of PS4 and back uh, kind of back catalog. Um, a big theme of this year, also, I feel like I've been talking about PlayStation a lot, is kind of my shift, at least not in allegiance, but at least in time spent, um, amount of mindshare spent um, in the kind of Sony gaming ecosystem. You know, historically, I'd consider myself a Nintendo man. Uh, I First party Nintendo is games I'm lining up for typically. Um, still kind of among my firmament of best games of all time. I still think they um they do it like nobody else in my humble opinion. Uh, but due to you know having that kind of PS5 on hand, a particularly uh lax um and lacking amount of um top notch first party content from a uh, Nintendo in house and even on the third party level uh, over the past year plus, I would say has led me to spending the majority of my gaming time on Sony. Um, I've really enjoyed playing some of the biggest games of the year, which I'm sure we'll uh, get to uh, heavy hitters and kind of catching up on some classic series of your, uh, I will uh, give dude a few minutes here to the uh, Yakuza series. I've been spending a lot of time with uh, kind of hitting the uh, old remaster train, uh, uh, everything running smooth on that PS five. It's been fun to kind of 
dive into some games, um, doing some homework, getting ready for big releases. Um, for example, I had not beaten God of War 2018 before this year. Um, and so in feelings of obligation, I revisited that game and it was a uh, pleasantly surprised to feel it kind of beefed up by the uh, PS5 and that kind of an even more fun experience for that. But yeah, so I'd say I kind of felt like I had one foot in the future or slash the present, um, one foot, sometimes more than that, maybe a little bit deeper down into kind of going through my backlog and uh, really had a lot of fun time, not going down memory lane, but uh, just kind of revisiting some greats I had not gotten around to. But uh, And also, um, I guess I could firmly announce that this year I have entered into a TV guy discourse um, because I finally took the bullet um, and I finally uh, convinced my wife of the uh, financial responsibility of purchasing an OLED uh, 4K television uh, for our den. Um, the call was made um, while I was sick with COVID this summer. I believe some small amount of uh, pity <laughs> for me from my beloved wife may have come into account there. So, you know, in retrospect, uh, you know, getting an infectious disease sucks, but uh, hey, if you get a nice TV out of it, uh, uh, not too shabby so it's been fun finally being able to geek out at high frame rates and 120 hertz refresh rates and look at black level settings on forums and kind of geek out in that regard all while trying not to come across as too insufferable when uh talking about that with other people so it's a uh, it's been a fun year awesome yeah you mentioned it feels like the new generation of gaming came this year even though ps5 has been out for a good bit, maybe two years. It's interesting seeing you shipped over to, to Sony. And I love that you mentioned Yakuza because we have our own Yakuza expert in the house, Dylan Jones. And Dylan, I want to throw it over to you. What do you want to talk about in this year in gaming? Yeah, look, it, it was an interesting year. I'm happy to talk about Yakuza all day, every day. I think Yakuza Zero is one of my, my all-time favorites. But um, yeah, I, I think 2022 from a, a big release perspective was a year of like high highs and a lot of low lows um you know i think elden ring creeped up and i don't want to say or i don't want to spoil my list but you know and it, there were a lot of really excellent games this year um but yeah it, it, there were a lot of games that i was kind of excited for that it really kind of flopped as well um when you look at the execution i know that just in the last couple of days like callisto protocols come out and uh, you know, it's been lambasted for being, uh, you know, essentially terrible. <laughs> um, you know, I think we were really spilling the, the effects of the pandemic this year in gaming. Um, but with all of that, you know, on a positive note, um, you know, I, I've somehow ended up in, you know, 10-year-old Dylan's uh, dream scenario where I, I have all of the, the modern consoles, <laughs> which I never would have thought would happen. And it feels a little silly in a lot of ways, um, especially because uh, 2022 in a lot of ways has become the year that I've re-engaged with PC gaming um, as my preferred medium. And that's 90% driven by the Steam Deck, which really has just kind of completely changed the way that I uh, you know, think about games. You know, having the ability to pick something up and play it for you know, short bursts of time has enabled me to you know, get through more games this year than I have in like the last, you know, since graduating college. You know, being able to pick up and play for 20 minutes here and there, it's not time that, or haven't had time for that recently. <laughs> And uh, yeah, the, the low barrier of entry is really something special. And uh, you know, a piece of hardware is, is really neat. Um, the fact that it can do you know, essentially all of my back catalog uh, has been really neat. 
uh, yeah, I mean, it, a great year all in all. And uh, you know, looking forward to what 2023 has in store, though, because I think that especially the first half of the year looks particularly staffed in that regard. Alex, how was your year? Thanks, Dylan. No, that, that's really – I need to get a Steam Deck because I've, I've just been Team PlayStation, Team Sony the whole time. My year was pretty good. I, For me, I kind of took last year off in terms of video games. Part of it was I wanted to wait until I had a PS5. Part of it was I assume the pandemic caused some a lot of delays in games and, and the such. So I had a list of top video games lists two years ago. I didn't play enough games last year to have that sort of list this year. That said, I really enjoyed this year in gaming. I thought there were a lot of high highs, as you mentioned, Dylan, things like Elden Ring, things like God of War, things that we have been waiting for for a very long time that were uh, very enjoyable. I also had a roommate this past year, and I found some of my favorite moments were where we were playing the same game in different parts of the apartment and kind of shouting across and and <laughs> exclaiming our, our wins and our losses. So I actually had a really fun time playing Fall Guys with the boys over a one big Discord chat, just screaming whenever anyone was about to make the cut or or fall into the abyss of that. And it was really kind of a stupid game, but I, I enjoyed that a bit. So that'll be one of my honorable mentions. But to summarize the year, this is a year I got a PS5 and thus there were a lot more, there's a little bit of a catch up. I played games like Returnal, I played games like Deathloop, these uh, primo AAA games, but I don't know. It feels like the games were here this year in comparison to last year. I, I can't really speak for the depth as much, but I thought last year was, I, I can't remember the top releases in, in the same way that I can this year. With that, I, I guess maybe we, we can ask, how's this year compared to years past? Dylan, you mentioned that it was a little top heavy, but how, how do you think it compares to last year? I'm trying to think. I mean, last year, you're totally right that um, 2021 was a, a rough year in, in gaming in a lot of ways. I don't really even remember what I played last year other than Returnal. Um, I, I think that was a year where um, I spent a lot of time, did a lot more reading than, <laughs> than anything else last year. Um, yeah, but Returnal was fantastic. Um, what else even came out last year? Uh, Inscription was really good. I, but I think that there were more, I, I think, Last year, there were a lot of good B titles. And I think every other year in the past, I think it's had a lot more good B titles than this year has. Um, whereas, yeah, 2022 has been the year of, you, know, you have a couple of like really amazing blockbusters and everything else has just kind of fallen by the wayside. So all in all, pretty average year, I'd say. Uh, not one for the record books, but certainly not a bad one either. Yeah, I'd say I agree with Dylan, you know, in terms of this year being better than last but definitely not one for the record books um thinking back to 2021 i'd be remiss if i didn't shout out my personal game of the year that year uh, metroid dread on the nintendo switch uh, i admittedly i'm a sucker for the metroid series metroid prime is definitely in my top five games of all time and i'll 
pretty much all the 2D entries are right there, knocking there at that uh, top 10, except for the original Samus Returns, which Game Boy, uh, a little rough. But um, I really loved Metroid Dread last year. But then other than that, it was, you know, a handful of these PS5 exclusives. There we go. <laughs> Shout out Steam Deck. Uh, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, Returnal, I had a good time with. I've kind of bopped in. I never got all the way through it. Uh, Ratchet and Clank, uh, Rift Apart. Wow, that's beautiful. I personally never got around to finishing it. Um, I'm looking forward to getting there at one point, but just nothing really grabbed me in the way that the top games of this year really grabbed me, with the exception of Metroid, uh, Metroid Dread. Well, even though I love the game to death, I've played through it several times, it's a very kind of tight, concise, eight to 10 hour main campaign for being generous. Um, really fun, really a lot of replayability, but. Uh, I definitely don't think it'll have the staying power as some of the top games we're about to discuss. Yeah, and that's probably a good transition to perhaps counting down some of our, our top games that we're going to discuss. Let's throw it over to Dylan. Dylan, what are your honorable mentions for 2022? Yeah, I mean, I think honorable mentions for me are um, I think Ultra Kill is my number one honorable mention. I think it has easily the best mechanics of any shooter I've ever played. Um, I'm just not the type of gamer right now that goes for 100% and everything. And so it didn't quite grab me and I didn't put in the hundreds of hours that everybody else did. I finished it in three hours and was very satisfied, but that that is the game with probably the most levels of complexity and depth that I've maybe ever played just from a pure um, expression of mechanics perspective, really neat game. Um, also just shouting at, you know, I love a, a good road bike. Um, Gunfire Reborn played a lot of that this year. Fantastic game. Uh, and then Steam Deck Factorio was like, uh, it's crap. I couldn't, couldn't kick that one. So played a lot of Factorio this year. How would you, de- sorry, just curious, how would you describe Factorio? Is it like a puzzle game or? Yeah, so Factorio is a, um, I think that it, if you ever played like a, a cookie clicker, right? It, it's like if you if you take an incremental game like a cookie clicker or um, like even something like a, a Stardew Valley or like a, a Harvest Moon or whatever, like all of the, where you continually grow and build your empire, but you're having to do it in a really thoughtful way and engage with, it, it's, you're right, it is a puzzle in a lot of ways. There's a lot of math that goes into it, which is not something I wasn't expecting to have to break out spreadsheets to play video games, but had a great time doing it. Um, you know, I think that I did a lot of multiplayer with a friend who's an engineer. Um, and, you know, you just said, you know, it's like I come home from my engineering job to do more engineering on the computer here, and I love every second of it. And, you know, I, I think that that's a really good way of putting it. It's all about load balancing and making sure that you're clicking your cookies in just the right way. Awesome. I, I love those sort of optimizing games. I can go next on Arbel Mentions. I'll mention... Uh, this came out in December 2022, but the Baba is You DLC. I thought Baba is You is a coding puzzle game, which really stretches your mind in creating new mechanics and, and trying to solve these puzzles require you to think outside the box. And I thought their DLC was like a brand new version of the game, which was very enjoyable. I'll also give a shout out I gave a shout out to Fall Guys earlier. That was a lot of fun for while it lasted. I played Cult of the Lamb, which is 
you're managing a cult of lambs, as the title suggests. It was super buggy in when I played it, and eventually I ran into some game-breaking bugs, which was a bit disappointing, but it was pretty addictive managing my cult. Uh, and also pretty funny in how it speaks on uh, these like commercial churches and try not to get religious on, on the podcast, but um, it it was just kind of a, a chill, light, and easy time. And the last one, last uh, honorable mention I'll give is Inscription. I feel like we might talk about this a little more. So I, I, if you're going to play Inscription, just go in with as little knowledge beforehand as possible because it is is very much a wild ride in, in the story and it just keeps going and going. Um, with that, I'll, I'll throw it over to Schaefer. What were some of your honorable, honorable mention games? Yeah, for me, so some of my honorable mentions, I feel like the top one that comes to the list as kind of a perennial honorable mention, I feel like. Always bridesmaid, never bride, as they say, as uh, our old uh, pink buddy Kirby. Uh, Kirby in the Forgotten Land on the Nintendo Switch uh, was a really lovely, cozy, fun little 3D platformer uh, from the Kirby team, a genre that he's surprisingly not uh, been put into as of um, until that game came out. It was always side-scrollers or kind of odd diversions like the DS games where you're drawing rainbow trails on the screen or various kind of even more outside the box, but just a classic kind of straight up, kind of in the vein of maybe not quite a Mario 64, kind of more like a, almost like a Banjo-Kazooie type kind of collect-a-thon bouncing around, but you're Kirby. Um, it was an extremely fun game. Uh, and I think of me and myself is a Nintendo Last of Us because you're playing this odd kind of post-apocalyptic. It's like Kirby, like going through an abandoned shopping mall that's been retaken by nature, but then you're, you know, sucking up the hammer gorilla to steal its powers. It's a little bit of a kind of funny uh, visual pastiche going on, but just a really fun, cozy game. Really had a good time with that. And for someone who's normally a pretty big Nintendo devotee, whose end of year lists are highlighted by big Nintendo games, that was really the only Nintendo game I sunk my teeth into with any uh, significant amount of time this year. Uh, haven't got around to Splatoon three. Haven't got around to Pokemon games. Probably won't because I'm not a huge Pokemaniac and the performance issues sound really horrible. But definitely wanted to shout out Kirby on the Nintendo side of things. Um, wanted to shout out a few older games um kind of in alex's notes about finally this year feeling like the ps5 coming into its own i feel like this is the year i feel like my getting through my ps5 library really got around and kind of catching up on some of those ps4 games um one game i spent a massive amount of time this year was the uh ghost of tsushima uh ps5 remaster director's cut edition um I did not play it originally when it came out. And so this year, it was one of those, I believe I got in a Black Friday sale last year, but didn't get around to it until this year. But playing through it, just absolutely one of the most serene, kind of beautiful. It was just a place I found myself wanting to go. Sometimes I didn't know what I wanted to play or what I wanted to accomplish in a given no time. But I want to go here and take in some of these vistas and ride my horse and just kind of vibe for a while. So really had a great time with that. And then... Probably the game series I spent the most amount of time this year, maybe not properly, I think it's definitely at this point, is I finally got into Yakuza this year. I finally jumped in. It had been on my to-do list for a while. Um, hearing that some of the 
games in the series are about to make their way to the PS Plus Extra library. Kind of got me to come around to finally jump in. I bought Yakuza 0 for like $5 on a sale a while back. It's been kind of sitting in my back catalog. So I decided to jump in with Zero, and I was hooked pretty much from the start. Um, they are just some of the most simultaneously heartfelt and over-the-top melodramatic, but in the best possible way to the point where you're screaming along your TV like, Majima, no! Just the, there's so much heart and emotion and sincere kind of gut-wrenching operatic storytelling that is then juxtaposed by the most ape shit wacky totally what the hell were they thinking of just absolutely rolling on the floor laughing goofy hilarious side quests and stories it is one of the most tonally inconsistent series i've ever played but i feel like both sides of that coin they just hit so hard and i just want to give an impassioned uh endorsement to the axis series i'm currently about 10 hours into yakuza 4 um, so I'm slowly kind of making my way through uh, the mainline series. I've been tempted a few times to skip ahead to uh, Yakuza 7, the uh, JRPG reimagining um, on PS5, because I've heard it is absolutely delightful, but I'm trying to do my best, make my way through chronologically. But I really, really had a fantastic time with the Yakuza series this year and can't recommend it enough. I think any game where you can uh, play, you can fight zombies off of Michael Jackson during the Thriller music video is really a, a classic. Just truly, truly out of this world. <laughs> I really admire your your diligence to play each game in order. It's it's kind of my dad. Whenever I say like, "Hey, let's watch Fast and Furious 5, he'll say, "No, we have to watch Fast and Furious one through four." in order to to get there and it's almost a way of deflecting in that there's no way we're gonna watch all four although spoiler alert we did and we've we watched all nine um but i i admire your dedication and, and patience and not just skipping to to the good one or i mean it seems like it's a great time no matter what so i'll have to try out the the yakuza games so official game of the reclassical podcast yakuza <laughs> Definitely start with zero. Highly recommend. Is that the prequel? So yes, that is the prequel. Came out in 2016, I believe, before six. Is that correct, Dylan? Before six, but after yeah, one through five. So there's some kind of winking nods to the future that you won't get, but it does chronologically provide the best entry point, in my humble opinion. And then when you're playing later on, and mechanically as well, it marries the much improved mechanics of the later games, kind of with that origin story yeah I, I think three through five are a little bit rough to get through nowadays but um all, all the other ones are, are in good shape i think yeah it's funny how like this podcast is obviously about 2022 games but i one game i i replayed this year was tony hawk pro skater one and two and it's still fantastic even though once you know what you're doing you can get through the main campaign in maybe two hours, three hours. Um, it's still a fantastic time. I love the speedrun mode, but wherever you are in your gaming journey, I hope you all enjoy some of the games we suggest. With that, it's probably time to get to the list, the meat and potatoes of this podcast. I'll start with Dylan. Dylan, what is your number five game of the year? 
Yeah, I'm gonna come out swinging with a hot take. Um, God of War Ragnarok is my number five. Um, fantastic game, does not live up to the high watermark of 2018. I know we're gonna talk about it more, so I'm gonna leave it at that. Um, I think there's a version of my list where this is number six or lower, but um, I think for the purposes of, of right now, it is my number five. I imagine you've probably heard a lot of feelings and maybe you've heard a little bit more of my feelings, but it's on your list. Like you did like the game. Yeah, it, absolutely. It, it's a fantastic game, I, I think. And again, if I've never played God of War 2018, I think I probably would have come away from Ragnarok thinking that it was absolutely brilliant. I just think that there were, it was marred by some pacing issues. And I, we can get into that a little bit more when we're talking about the positives, because I, I don't want it to be come across as like, oh, I hated the game. I just think that there were, I had enough issues with it that it, I you know, can't say that I would like wholeheartedly recommend it in the same way that I would with 2018. Yeah, and you also played a lot of games, and you just love four games more. So, yeah, absolutely. With that, let's throw it over to Schaefer. What is your number five game of the year? Uh, so, my number five game of the year, I hope this counts in my co podcast guest humble opinions, but I'm going to put uh, the Destiny 2 expansion, The Witch Queen. Um, it was a all new $40 expansion for the now free to play destiny two. Um, I played this on PS five um, with the expansion came a full new campaign, I believe clocked in right around the kind of 10 to 12 hour mark. So um, when you're kind of looking at it in terms of some of the other kind of big games I played, played this year, I feel like I definitely spent enough time and enough care and time went into this to kind of let it stand on its own. Um, I believe uh, it's the most, successful destiny has been in a storytelling standpoint and in a campaign design standpoint since the series originally came out back in 2013 i believe um i've been a kind of lapsed destiny player over the years i started in 2014 i'm a solo only guy i've yet to do a raid i've yet to have a full fire team of three people do kind of group activities but um i play through i love the single player content i Love the PVE system, um, really enjoy the world and the lore, although it is a bit kind of opaque and difficult to uh, break into uh, for newcomers, especially. And even for someone who's been kind of in and on with the series um, for years, but I always come back around for the big expansions, kind of to see where the story is going next, what the new campaign will hold. And this year's release was definitely, I feel like a high watermark for the series has me really excited about where uh, the series could go be going forward, just really fleshing out the lore in ways that were kind of unexpected, finally taking the story in some interesting directions that I definitely wouldn't have predicted. And at the end of the day, I just feel like the gunplay that Bungie has kind of honed over the years is uh, second to none, in my opinion. As someone who doesn't play a massive amount of first-person shooters, um, there's just something about that kind of classic Bungie gunplay that always keeps me coming back. So that's why uh, Witch Queen is my number five game of the year. No offense, Schaefer. I had no clue Destiny 2 was still a thing. Uh, but, <laughs> but I'm glad, glad they're going strong. And I know at least Destiny 1 was criticized for not having a, a ton of content when it came out. But it's, it's awesome to see that it's still going strong, that they're adding new packs and that you had a good time, man. But, like, I'll have to, to check that stuff out. My number five game is Horizon Forbidden West, a 
third person open world RPG. I feel like we've, I, I think I, I'm not just speaking for myself when I say that it feels like we've all have a little bit of open world third party or third person triple A game fatigue. Um, but this game where you're running around with a bow and arrow and, and shooting robot dinosaurs, while it doesn't have the novelty that the original had, which I, the original, I, I think the novelty makes it a, a better experience overall. I think just pound for pound, it, they just took the original, improved it. I found that actually my favorite moments in this game were less the action sequences and, and more a lot of the puzzles that they added. They added this little in mini game chess game called Machine Strike which seems really stupid. And whenever my roommate walked in on me playing this game, he's like, why the hell are you playing Horizon Chess right now? But I thought it was a fun little wrinkle and it was always something that I was trying to do where whatever camp I, I raided in this game. So while I do still suffer from a lot of this open world fatigue, and it feels like a lot of these games are just copying Assassin's Creed formula over and over and over, I have to say this game was really well polished and really well done. And so that is my number five game. Dylan, what is your number four game? Yeah, more hot takes coming hot off the presses. Um, so my number four game is Legend of Heroes Trails from Zero. And I don't wholeheartedly recommend this to just anybody, um, but the whole Legend of Heroes series, I think is just a fascinating um, JRPG. It, it's like 12 games long of um, you know, incredibly interconnected uh, you know, world where you, know, it, you follow specific sets of characters for two or three games straight, but then you see it, see the world from a different perspective and you'll see these kind of um, large scale like world conflicts and you, know, you kind of scale up from being, you, you start as um, you kind of average Joe's off the street and then you know, you get end up involved in like these political intrigues and or, you know, assassination plots and things like that. And the way that it ties together across different um, you know, arcs of games where, you know, you'll see the war, a, a war between two countries from you know, one side, and then you'll go to the other side and you'll see the, what the politics look like on both ends. And it's fascinating from a, a world building perspective. Um, and, and I think that from a gameplay perspective, uh, Trails from Zero is it's actually really solid. It's um, a return to kind of a, a more uh, isometric 2D type of look from the a 3D version that is in the Trails of Cold Steel arc. But uh, I, I think that the gameplay is just incredibly solid and the cast of characters is um, perfect for a JRPG. So uh, it really had me invested in, in their well-being. So anyway, a lot of fun. Nice. Um, where can one play the uh, Trails of Zero series? Yeah, I mean, great on the Steam Deck. Um, you know, so it, they're all on PC at this point. Um, I think that there's a, P, a PlayStation release of all of the Cold Steel games as well as uh, Zero at this point. Um, Trails to Azure, there's a fan translation of, but uh, it's coming out sometime in the next six months uh, officially. And then, um, yeah, I will also mention my favorite thing about it uh, <laughs> that I think all video games should have is there is a fast forward button that is just mapped to the triggers. And so, you know, for a JRPG, you know, that means 
there's essentially no grinding because you can play that at 6x speed. And you know, if there's a cutscene that's going a little longer than you want it to, it's fine. You watch it at 6x speed. I don't know. Um, I, I read pretty quickly. And so I find myself in a lot of games just really itching to, you know, waiting for the text box to move on or whatever. And I skip so much dial you know, spoken dialogue because I've read the, the text box first. I think that's true of every single game. And so having the ability to just fast forward is, is fantastic. We need to add that to every single game. Just the uh... if, if Ragnarok had a fast forward button, it could. Have... <laughs> so <laughs> I won't tell yeah. you sections I would fast forward through until we get to the spoiler section of the cast. But there, <laughs> I'm very fun. excited for uh, this conversation because I have oh, a, I have an idea. <laughs> I think our dear host might be as well. We'll kick it over to Schaefer for his number four. <laughs> So my number four game of the year, this might also be a hot take. I might get some eye rolls or raised eyebrows. But um, my number four game of the year is The Last of Us Part One. Naughty Dogs from the Ground remake. Remake. Not remaster. Remake of Gaming Watermark, High Bar Center, The Last of Us. I will admit, when this remake was first announced, my first thought was, why? This seems unnecessary. As someone who played Last of Us for the first time in the PS4 remaster um, back in the year of our Lord 2014, I really felt like, well, that was a great experience. What, you know, does this really need to exist? And I will say I was a bit frustrated at the $70 price point. Um but it turns out uh, I wasn't uh, so principled that a nice little Black Friday $20 discount couldn't get me to finally dip my toes back in the pool and say, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. And I took it hook, line, and sinker. I got it off that uh, $50 price point, which in retrospect, I feel like maybe was the right amount to charge for that game. And um, I'm about 12 hours in at this point and just am frankly in awe of what they've done i would not guess that this was a ps3 game originally playing it with through it the amount of care that they've taken in really building this thing back from the ground up really preserving what was great about the original and just providing it in such stunning detail it truly does feel like a the definitive edition of the game if someone had never played this game this is the way you would recommend them to play it this is the version that I think they should put in the Library of Congress as one of the just absolute masterworks of interactive storytelling we've got out there. And I will say, I never got around to playing Last of Us Part Two. I thought Last of Us Part One, well, then just The Last of Us, we didn't know there's going to be a part two, was definitely one of my favorite games of all time. But two couldn't have come out at a worse time for me and my kind of own you know life and the way things were going what with the global pandemic raging and that just being a really difficult time uh, it really didn't feel like the time i wanted to jump into an incredibly bleak and depressing game set amid the backdrop of a global pandemic uh that no one decided to solve uh, so that one's been on my back burner but i've been telling myself you know before i get into two i should play through one again just can't get refreshed in the story I'm also a big TV nerd and I'm highly anticipating the HBO series. So I thought this would be a good time to play Last of Us again. 
But then I heard there was going to be the remake, and I thought, well, I should probably wait until the remake comes along, play the definitive version. But then I was frustrated at the price point, so all it took was that lopping $20 off the top. I think $50 is a perfect value for this thing. And if you haven't played The Last of Us recently, have you know the disposable income to be able to afford buying a game if you may play it again, which I know is definitely not a given, definitely a luxury, um, and have any desire to revisit that world, I could not recommend the part one remake more highly. I have a gamer sin to confess to. Um, I've never played The Last of Us, uh, one or two. I, I played uh, two hours of part one on when I first got a, a PS5, and I uh, didn't like it. Uh, I, I, you know, storytelling is fantastic, and that's all I ever hear people talk about. The game itself, I just did not find engaging or fun. Is that is it still essentially the same in the remake, or am I wrong? It, does it change over time? So I'd say I have been impressed in the remake so far. The AI does seem improved. The AI seems to be a tad less formulaic, a bit less predictable. Um, in all honesty, it could be just that maybe it hit a bit, hit a little bit better for me the first time I played it, and just kind of hitting those old kind of serotonin notes. Um, but I really do feel like the enemies behave more intelligently than they did last time around. Um, um, another thing I will say is fantastic about the remake is its use of audio is fantastic. I'm playing with headphones with 3D audio in scare quotes I'm turned on, but I feel like just that combination, it's like, I'm, you know, home alone. I've got a nice sound bar. That's usually my preferred way to play games. I'm playing this one with my headphones on because just the incredible amount, the sound design from when I'm outside, hearing things off in various directions, hearing that bone chilling creak of the clickers coming at you and being able to pinpoint exactly which direction due to that fantastic spatial audio, I feel like really adds to the experience. So I, I personally do feel like the remake um, does take things up a notch. Um, while I said it doesn't feel like a PS3 game in terms of kind of presentation vibe, there are a few moments in terms of the kind of moment to moment, um, the environmental puzzles, I'd say. I will admit feel a tad bit dated, but I honestly would recommend if you have any interest in the series, um, maybe you might be the target demo of wait for a even steeper discount, potentially uh, maybe soften things a little bit, which luckily Sony, um, contrary to my other favorite gaming company, Nintendo, isn't shy to discount their games at a certain point. Um, I'd recommend giving it another shot. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's just what you said. I'll have to give it a look. If I remember correctly, the IGN review gave it a 9 out of 10, basically saying Last of Us is an incredible game. It's a 10 out of 10 game, but what the actual hell? Why are we remaking this stuff? Um, the other joke I had was Last of Us Part 3 going to have masks and social distancing probably at this rate. So... Moving on to my number four game. My number four game is Sifu. Sifu is a indie action RPG. It's basically karate the game. So basically you walk into a club. Everyone in the club has lead pipes. They're trying to whack you. And you have to use your karate moves to beat them up and move on into the move on into later in the level. It's a game that is, I think, easy to pick up and get going with, but it is difficult to master. In fact, one mechanic I really love about Sifu is that every time you die, 
you get older. So, and as you get older, you have a little less, less health, but you hit it a little harder because due to experience. And if you keep dying, eventually you'll become a 70 year old man or a woman, and you'll just be too old to fight and you'll lose. So much of the game is as you're going through those five levels is not just getting through the level, which you, you can, uh, you can sort of force your way through the level and die a lot and get through level one at age 50, but it's not about getting through the levels. It's about mastering the level, getting through the level at a very young age. And so I found that kind of grind to be really re- rewarding. I thought the combat was really well done. I do think some of the boss battles became a little simplistic once you learned the the two to three moves each boss had. So I think if it had a little bit more polish or a little bit more time in the oven, a little bit more content, it would be higher on my list. But another big reason it's not higher on my list is it came out the week before Elden Ring. So we'll get to that later in the list. But Sifu, if you have... If you want to play a 10-hour game and you love karate or Souls-like games, Sifu's a good time. Sifu probably should have made it onto my honorable mentions list. It was a, a fantastic game. Um, and I think the way that it forces you to you know, meet mastery, like I think you know, a lot of ways it really makes you feel like Karate Kid. You know, it, it's a I think, you know, as much as you described it as karate the video game, I think that like it plays on the like extra diegetic piece of like. You know, you as the player having to learn just as much as it does diegetically. And the other thing that's interesting, is, I don't know if you uh, you didn't touch on this, but as you get older, you do more damage but have less health, which I thought was just a really interesting dynamic. Because, so if you're really, really good at the game and think you're never going to die, you can purposefully age yourself up and then go through it much faster because you're you do more damage, which I, I think is also just. Uh, you know, is that the speed run strat? Uh, there, are, there are different categories. It can take, sometimes it takes too long to kill yourself. So I, I actually don't know what the current routing is, but anyway. It has this really interesting kind of like over the shoulder perspective. Is that correct? Um, yeah. From yeah. Video games. I, I feel like that seems like kind of a breath of fresh air in this world of just constant. I don't know if either of you played the, that studio's last game, Absolver, um, but this is a vastly improved over Absolver. Uh, that, that game, I think, had some interesting ideas of being almost like MMO adjacent, but um, I think they, they really fine-tuned the combat and uh, see who actually feels really good. Awesome, man. Yeah, let's let's throw it over to you, Dylan, for number three. I'll, I'll keep talking. Uh, my number three is Neon White. Um, super fast-paced. Um, it, it is technically a first-person shooter, but it's more like a puzzle game and like it forces you to... It's about speedrunning, essentially. And I've never... Sp- Speed run a game before um but man that game it, it like tickled all the little serotonin no- no- nodes in my brain and i i would play levels over and over again until i got the perfect rank and whatever and i i can't tell you the last time i've ever score chased in a game uh, it's maybe never happened but that game made me do it it, it was really satisfying really fun the writing uh, i think correctly has been called out by a lot of critics as being not very good and i'll agree with that but the gameplay itself they, you know the gameplay after the game, which is what you spend 90% of it doing, you can completely skip through all the bad dialogue. Um, really fantastic. So. I haven't heard a bad thing about Neon White. Um, one of my favorite YouTubers, 
shout out sunburned albino loves loves that game so it's on the docket uh i'll get to it at some point but thanks for for shouting it out speaking um, of being on the docket uh dylan um and i know i'm assuming you played this on pc is that correct i i it was actually the first game i played on the steam deck um, ah nice right on right on yeah and i learned how to do gyro aiming which was kind of exciting <laughs> So I always ignored that feature in a regular game, uh, but it nice. needs the precision of either a mouse or the gyro to like actually go fast. And so it, it was it was fun to learn. Because that's derail us. I've been meaning to get around in the white. Um, I knew it originally was PC and Switch, but yeah. now they have announced a PS5 port. Do you think that this is something? Because I do love you know if a game if a game can hit sixty frames per second and run yeah. smoothly on the Switch, I do love having stuff on the Switch. Do you think this is a game? I mean, obviously, not knowing how the ports turned out, but should I wait for the PS5 version or maybe I don't, I mean, no, the, the way that the art style works? Like, it, it is a an incredibly stylish game, but but it's not like super high poly or anything. I don't think that there will be any substantial advantages to being on a uh, PS5. Awesome. And, yeah, you can go switch and not have any problems. Would Very check cool. the frame rate on it. I have no idea, but probably wouldn't sure. play it if it was like 30 frames a second. For sure. For sure. All right, Schaefer, you're up for number three. Right on. Well, speaking of uh, cool uh, cross-platform games uh, and one we uh, touched on in passing earlier, um, my number three game of the year is Inscription, the PS5 port specifically. Um, as I'm not a PC gamer, this is my first opportunity to play Inscription, so I feel like it should definitely uh, qualify for this conversation. And uh, I'm, as someone who you know, consumes a lot of gaming media content. I've heard, you know, so many of my favorite podcasters, game uh, reviewers, personalities, highly recommend this game, but also with the caveat of just don't find out too much about it. So I've been in this very interesting holding pattern of hoping that there was going to be a port and wanting to read more about this game I couldn't play at the time, but not too much because I didn't want to spoil anything for myself. So when the PS5 port got announced, um, I was absolutely delighted. I'm excited that it's on the Switch now so even more people can play this truly mind-boggling batshit crazy game uh just with its you know terrifying lo-fi ps1 fever dream graphic style uh cabin in the woods meets pokemon trading card game meets a little bit of Saul dashed in and that's without even getting into kind of spoiler terry about some of the just truly like exciting like what the hell was that feeling like I just have to talk to someone about this. Um, I remember texting Alex, actually, I was like, dude, I don't know if you played this game or heard about this game, but Hey, I think you should play it because it's amazing. But also I just got to talk to this with somebody I believe. And I've been imploring people uh, to play this game. If you can at all, it's um, at its core, just a delightful uh, deck building roguelike um with the really clever uh systems at play um very and the vibe is just unmatched it uh from a storytelling perspective it does so many interesting things um don't want to give away the uh kind of big twists and kind of shifts but it's a game that'll constantly keep you guessing if you have ever enjoyed uh playing cards in any shape form or fashion i'd say that is and have a you know curiosity for things that are slightest bit creepy um don't mind being surprised i could not recommend inscription higher enough i've been living rent free in my head ever since i beat it a few months ago 
God, this isn't special. I, I think it's really sad that there isn't a fully fleshed out uh, version of the dual disc mode, but that's okay. We'll, uh, I, I, right, the, the computer part, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> it, it's maybe the most extra game you can play. Very extra, but at, the, at its core, it's, it's a really good card game. Just you versus the, the AI. Pretty fun, fun rolling the dice. A lot of chance involved, but uh, a lot of calculated risk for sure. I recommend playing it. Just like like Schaefer, we we're on the inscription train. One one last question for both. Have either of you played Slate the Spire before? So I have I played it for about ten minutes, and just for whatever reason, it didn't immediately click with me. It's one of those I've had in the back of my head to go back to because it, I feel like it would. I, I think you should you should give it another try. Uh, I, I will be. We'll, we'll touch base again later. I, I'm curious about uh, how you compare the two, but I think we'll uh, that'll be another discussion for another day. Awesome. Yeah, I know they have the same sort of level by level tree. If, well, if I'm, I, I think we'll we'll leave it at that for okay. now to, to keep it spoiler free. <laughs> My number three game is, and I I want to let Dylan actually talk about it because I think it's coming up on his list is. Vampire Survivors, a rogue. I keep saying roguelike. It's not roguelike, but it's a. I think the, the term that gets used is reverse bullet hell. Perverse bullet hell, yeah, or bullet heaven is a name. It's so genre, yeah. Um, we'll we'll have a vampire just survivors discussion in, in maybe a minute. So, I want to hear Dylan's thoughts first before I sure. say I, some jokes. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, yeah, as, as you uh, mentioned, my number two is Vampire Survivors. Um, you know, it's not every year that um, a game creates a new genre, um, but there have been, with all of the different games that have popped up throughout the year, um, you know, kind of taking what Vampire Survivors did and twisting it in its own way, I, you know, there's something special there. Um, you know, it's really addictive from a, a pick-up-and-play perspective, fantastic on the Steam Deck. Uh, I don't know, it has a little bit, I think the, the vertical progression in it is a, leaves a little something to be desired. I think the, your first couple of playthroughs are not particularly satisfying because it is almost too hard. And then when you play it enough, it becomes too easy. There's things that you can do to, to fix that, but um, the difficulty curve is a little weird. But that aside, I think that there's something really special about what Vampire Survivors did this year. This game was cocaine. Like this was the most addictive game I played this year. I would. And the thing is, each level only goes up to 30 minutes, right? right? But you just want to do one more run. I would go to work the next day. I would feel almost with withdrawal, feeling like I really just want to play play another round and upgrade my guy a little bit more. Um, as you mentioned, it eventually does become too easy once you sort of get the formula, once you know what weapons to get, things like that. But even past then, like a lot of the DLC updates were just, hey, we have new characters who are just slightly different, but it's an excuse to play the game again. Absolutely. Yeah, and they added like, you know, check mark, like completion check marks, and like, which was tickled, or I don't know, it was scary for my binding visor playing brain. I, I don't know, but it, it almost went down a dangerous rabbit hole. But yeah, and there's so many like secrets and whatnot. I, I think that that's something that I, I didn't really appreciate until I was playing relatively recently. And this is the the only game that I picked up and put down throughout the year, you know, I first started playing it in probably January or February, and I, I played it at least once a month since then. Um, you know, it's been great every time. 
think there's always something new to, to figure out. And it's only $5, right? It was, it was $4 and then they had a, a 20%, 25% price increase. Yeah. But, so, anyway. but honestly, like some of my favorite gaming this year was it'd be like 10 p.m. I would put on my headphones, play a new album and mute Vampire Survivors, but just, just very calming and, and pleasing just walking through as insane particle effects go everywhere and destroy millions and millions of, of zombies not vampires we're still trying to find the vampire that's that's an inside <laughs> joke but um if you value your job i i might not recommend it but if you have free time with winter break coming not it's a it's a good game with that let's throw it over to Schaefer. what is your number two game of the year right on so my number two game of the year is elden ring I enjoyed Elden Ring um, a great deal. It is the game I've played most this year without actually beating it. Um, a probably glaring sign that A, I've never made it further than three hours into a Souls game before this, and B, that I just still do desperately need to get good, as it were. Um, when I confided in a um, friend of a friend uh, out at a happy hour the other night that I had um, only beat uh, Star Scourge Radon and I was sitting right hovering around the 70 hour mark and asked so that means like i'm pretty bad right and he just kind of knowingly smiled and yeah you're 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 pretty bad bro um but um really um for the first time i feel like the kind of souls formula clicked for me um don't want to talk too much of it i assume this is probably going to be revisited definitely love to hear y'all's thoughts uh but yeah just that the world building it was a place i wanted to be was just so intrigued by fascinated with um, the minimalist storytelling, but at the same time, the world just feeling so lived in. And I finally understood what everyone had been harping about for years and years about just the gameplay loop, the feeling you get when you finally master a specific encounter, a specific weapon, that just amazing feedback loop of getting your shit wrecked by a boss and just beating your head against the wall for hours and hours and finally breaking through. It all made sense to me, so... That's why Elden Ring is my number two game of the year. Yeah, there's there's definitely this uh, Stockholm Syndrome effect that I, I feel with Elden Ring and the previous game, which I loved, uh, Sekiro. Um, Schaefer, well, the, the Stockholm Syndrome effect being you get wrecked over and over and over again, and then after an hour, you, you beat the boss and you're like, yo, let, let's... You're like, wow, that was an amazing experience. And um Schaefer is this your first Soulsborne Souls-like game so this um I feel like you could probably say so I have tried a few different times to get into Bloodborne um I've only gotten a couple hours in each time never out of the first area and both times I've given it the college try I've thought this seems so fascinating I'm in love with this world I want to spend time here and I am someone who enjoys a punishing you know just brutal like Cuphead is one of my favorite games in the past you know, 10 years. I delight in boss heavy, um, brutally difficult games, but I just feel like I wasn't at the right point in my life whenever I tried to go into it to where I could fully kind of commit myself and throw myself into it. And for that reason, I bounced off. Uh, but for whatever reason, I feel like I was in a little bit better space able to, okay, I'm ready to commit to something just brutally difficult when 
Elden Ring came out or shortly after Elden Ring came out, I'll say I got into it about a month after release. Um, and then combined with the open world element, I feel like that really opened things up in terms of when things were just wrecking me and I was getting frustrated, I could go off and do something else. And that I feel like was really the secret sauce that kind of opened everything up for me. I, I don't mean to, to spoil anything, but I think that my my biggest problem with Elden Ring is that it is the, the Souls game that I would recommend the most to a newcomer, but it also is so much better than the rest of them that it kind of ruins the, I, it's, I think it's really hard to go back. And so I, I think that it's really challenging. I don't know what to recommend to somebody anymore as a first Souls game. It used to always be play Dark Souls 3, and now I, I don't know what to say. Um, anyway. Yeah, I replayed Sekiro and just the graphics weren't the same. Um, the combat was still fresh as hell, which was great. But so uh, we'll, we'll talk about Elden Ring in a minute. Um, my number two real quick, and, and we're going to talk about this later, is God of War Ragnarok. I think it is perhaps the best story, storytelling I've felt in a game, the best story. I know we'll debate this a little bit more, but... To clarify, I mean, best story I've experienced in a video game since The Last of Us. I thought it was really well written, and I'll, I'll explain why when we get to spoiler territory. With that, we're going to take a, a quick break, get some more water, and we'll be back in a minute. One thing I, I want to... I forgot to ask earlier, because, Schaefer, you play, like, multiple games at a time. Yes. Right. Too much so. But yes. Yeah, because I binge a game. Like I have yeah. one game as my game and I binge it. Same with TV shows. Like, mm. do you watch multiple TV shows at once? A lot of times, yeah. And it's kind of like interesting. So sometimes like with binging, I'll be the one, like, if there's something that Meg and I are both super into, we'll like watch three episodes and I'll be like, let's let's stop now. Let's save some for like tomorrow. And so we'll kind of like semi-binge it um if it's something i'm just so i'm kind of interesting it's i don't binge unless something really grabs me but if something really grabs me i pretty much just mainline it you know ragnarok for example for me that was one that i just really grabbed me and i you know just it couldn't let go if nothing is i'm pretty much always playing something but unless there's something that has really actively like super sunk its claws into me i'm kind of flitting around playing you know two three different things at a time at various stages of completion and i feel like it's the mark it's something like okay this is something that is really great for me when i can't pull myself away because that's kind of my mo most of the time so you don't have a lot of like oh shit it's 2 a.m kind of nights not as much those. yeah i feel like being married will do that to you a little bit um yeah. just having the time you know want our schedules to align um mm -hmm. Um, I do stay up later than Meg typically. Like she likes to get eight or nine hours. I'm usually having around like that seven hour mark. So I'll usually stay up at least like an hour later. And mm -hmm. usually I'm gaming during that time. It's not the only time I play games, but um, usually on school nights, as it were, I try to not go too hard. But it's, I, I usually don't binge super hard either, but this year I've like, there've been three or four times that I've like, just like found myself oh, all of a sudden it's 2 a.m. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> I don't remember the last time that happened, but it happened like three separate times. Two of them were, were playing Factorio, but uh, anyway. I had a couple of those with Inscription. And honestly, one of my criticisms of Inscription is that the boss music 
is the is mm-hmm. <laughs> is just the absolute worst at that two a.m. Just like you're sweating and you're you're like all right, I'm yeah. just trying to do one more run. The runs are almost a little too long in, in Casey's mod, but um, that's another topic. All right, back from break, we are going to our number one games of the year. I don't think it's very hard if, if you've been listening clearly to tell what these games are, but here are our thoughts on them. With that, Dylan, what is your number one game of the year, 2022? Yeah, my game of the year, 2022, is not just my game of the year, 2022. It is my favorite game of all time. It is Elden Ring. Um, it, it surpassed Breath of the Wild for me uh, as my favorite game of all time. I think that Elden Ring did something really special where it took you know, the already, like, stellar Souls combat, um, and, like, I think that the Souls series in general is brilliant from a, uh, you know, making you be intentional with your actions, and everything about it is tightly designed. And they transpose that onto an open-world format, which generally I'm feeling some fatigue of, but completely taking away all of the hand-holding elements, it really made it feel like, you know, it was just a vast land for you to explore, and there was you know, it was so packed with things and exploration was particularly meaningful, um, you know, where you find a new weapon or like an NHS rather or like an upgrade material that's like particularly rare. Like it wasn't a lot of like cruft when you went off the beaten path, like everything was meaningful. Maybe it was a new, uh, you know, soul ash to, to summon a, 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 you know, familiar, like anything you had could, or any exploration you did, you were rewarded for it. And it was satisfying, it made you think, um, I don't know. It, it cured me of my ADHD for the month that I played it because I was able to like actually. <laughs> I, I'm joking, but um, it it like really did make me like engage uh, with the game in a way that like most games don't really challenge me in, in that same respect. Um, yeah, there's a, there's. I, I think Alex is also your number one, and maybe you want to share your thoughts as well. Yeah, and I, I love that you talk about the element of exploration because it really feels like a new frontier not just a new frontier to explore the map keeps getting bigger and bigger and what seemed like a, a normal video game map just keeps expanding and you don't know how long that's going to end but also feels like a new refreshing frontier of, of video gaming even though even though you could boil it down to dark souls meets breath of the wild in a way there's just so much mystery and and so much to learn and so much jam-packed contact and to explore and it's all really almost feels random and and interesting in in a fun way like you run into some mages and they're shaped like burger king people you run into the wrong castle and there's some seven-fingered hands trying to knock you off your shit um it almost became a fun little research project trying to figure out, hey, here's this really obscure quest. Where do I need to go next? And I, I can't emphasize this enough. The month that it came out, if you're playing during then, where you weren't just discovering the new world, the entire internet was discovering the new world along with you. It felt like a real community-based event that everyone could share on reddit in fact like the memes for this game were absolutely incredible not that 
that says it's better than God of War or, or something, but it's an experience. And it, it's, I, I will say the first five or so hours that I played Elden Ring when I sucked at it and I didn't quite, I was getting used to the mechanics. Those genuinely weren't fun. And I remember getting my skull bashed in by a giant and thinking, wow, this game might be a little too difficult for me. Elden Ring has some mechanics, mainly the the summons that allow you to get through some of that, that make it a little bit more accessible than perhaps maybe Bloodborne or, or something. But I think more than that, layering it onto an open world, like it means you can choose your own adventure and, and like your own level of difficulty. By doing more exploration, you can make the game easier by you know, getting more levels or whatever. Like the game gets easier the more time you're willing to put into it, which you know, can be backwards. But I think that uh, it allows you to self-select in a way that isn't possible in the other Souls games, which is why I think it makes for a great entrance point for somebody that's new to the Souls series. Like it, it is still very hard, and you can play it in a way that makes it incredibly challenging, or you can play it in a way that it's you know pretty manageable. And, and honestly, playing God of War on a, a high difficulty is probably more challenging than Elden Ring if you play it in an easy way. I, I don't know. I, I think that it was really some design it's a design masterclass in terms of how to, to interweave mechanics i think um made over yeah and and the bosses are very memorable in a way um god of war also had some super awesome boss designs but i i just enjoyed reading on the internet there's this one super boss millennia <laughs> and and Millennia is, is one of the hardest bosses because she can kill you almost like one shot you with her waterfall dance, which is this crazy move. I, I'm still not totally sure how to completely dodge and, and get out scot-free, but just reading on the internet that there's this one guy who had mastered and his, his username was let me solo her. <laughs> and, and basically you could summon him into his game and he this one guy with he his character had a pot on his head. He was only wearing underwear, so no armor to speak of at all. And he would just go into people's games and wreck the the, the most difficult boss that has ever been in a Souls game before. It's it's stuff like that 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 just doesn't happen in, in normal video games. It felt like I was playing something fresh in, in a way that. We, we've talked a little bit about open world fatigue. This I didn't feel any fatigue playing Elden Ring. No, no checklist, I think, helps with that. I think the other thing that like was just absolutely, like, completely blew my mind while I was playing Elden Ring is that not only did you have like this incredible open world that like you know was full of activities and whatever, which isn't necessarily true in, in other games where that's the entire conception. The like the legacy dungeons, as they're called, you know where more traditional soul style levels or also some of the watermark like the, the high points for the series like uh stormvale castle i think if you drop that in any other souls game it would be the best level in any of those games and like the fact that that's layered into an entire dynamic world is just incredible uh, and the, just the amount of attention detail and care that went in that game i mean as much as people clown on like George R. R. Martin for taking forever on things, and <laughs> it, this game took a long time to come out. It was worth every second of the weight and height, which is incredible. I've never had something 
that I've waited for for five years pay off like that. Pretty incredible. Just in terms of, sorry, go ahead, Dad. Um, okay, well, I was going to say, in terms of just that world, I mean, two of my standout moments in gaming in the last several years are, A, the first time you make it out of Stormvale Castle, and you're up on the ridge, and just seeing everything going out all the way to um, Ray Lucaria just was the first kind of glimpse of like, oh, this world is big, big. Like, I will always remember the feeling like looking out of that vista for the first time and similarly or inversely in a way going down that well um siafra river well um just truly just jaw agape like pants shittingly oh my god what the fuck am i witnessing this is absolutely mind-blowing those moments will stay with me for a very long time one final uh, just direction for me, if anybody's going to pick up the game uh, based on this podcast, uh, all of the messages that are written on the ground by other players, you should pretend that they're written by George R.R. R. Martin himself. So whenever you see somebody say, try finger, but hold, um, that's George R.R. R. Martin telling, giving you a message, and you should take that seriously. I will also say a uh, shout out to uh, Torment, you're a trusty steed. Um, <laughs> is horse double jump the heated seats of video games <laughs> it's something maybe we didn't think we needed but then once you try like oh that's you can't that's take pretty nice you can't <laughs> go back i'm in sushima and i'm like what what are we doing here kaze like we're just gonna stay stuck to the ground like an asshole like what, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> normalized double jumping horses and and that's ultimately what makes it great like the story when you actually sit down and think about it you're just like what is actually going on what is this lore like we have these awesome bosses because they're awesome we have these the horse double jumping we have the burger king mages because why not because it's fun and, and it's it's almost like uh the creators of cards against humanity they, they talk about how they go into a shed and, and do all sorts of drugs to come up with new cards for their games and not to glorify, <laughs> not to recommend drug use, but it feels like some sort of what would be awesome brainstorming. And they just tapped into something that is just unconventional and really makes the game exciting. Any other Elden Ring hot takes we want to throw out there? I, I think just as a final thought, like similar to Breath of the Wild, I think that this game will change the way that, uh, you know, the paradigm for video game development. I think that we'll see more games like it in the future, and that is a good thing. So I, I'm excited for, uh, you know, the ripple impacts of this game. Likewise, no, I'm extremely excited to finally get around to finishing Elden Ring. Um, I do kind of talking about how just magical it was being online with everyone playing it at the same time right when it came out. In retrospect, I really do regret um, being even a month removed from the immediate uh, release of the game and when I decided to jump in because I do feel like I missed out a little bit on that. Um, I will say, um, that being said, I had an amazing moment at uh, my grandpa's 90th birthday um this summer um when got together with the family and i've got a lot of first cousins my mom's one of nine i'm the oldest of 19 first cousins i'm the oldest and for years i was the first one who got into video games 
And so when different cousins would be having a hard time playing a game, they would ask me for advice. You wouldn't call me on the phone sometimes asking how to beat a certain boss in Yoshi's Island and all the way back to that point. And it's just something that gave me so much joy. And here we are in 2022 at my grandpa's 90th birthday party. They've all beaten Elden Ring. I'm still at Rey Lucaria and they're all giving me tips on how to, you know, best deck out my confessor build, uh, what weapons I should be using, what summons I should be looking for, what buffs. And that, again, has just been one of my favorite <laughs> gaming moments. But uh, I'm really looking forward to beating it. I think I'm probably going to purchase, I can't remember the company putting it out, but there's this really beautiful uh, hardcover uh, guide to Elden Ring coming out um, that is just like got a complete walkthrough in terms of like tips for all the bosses. I believe it's like a two volume deal. The first volume with like the walkthrough just dropped a couple weeks ago at the next volume that has like detailed enemy descriptions, art and kind of details like all the bosses comes out in the spring. So I'm really looking forward to getting that hard covered player's guide to be able to kind of help get me through some of the tougher parts give me a little tips yeah. recommendation kind of a nice jumping point to get back into that awesome world that's a good christmas gift too my, my brother got me a, a hardcover like coffee table sekiro art book nice. a couple years ago and i'm realizing i can do the same thing now that is going to do it for part one of this two-part podcast for god of war discussion uh note spoilers are, are going to be in this next podcast please check out the next podcast on this feed we talk about god of war and also the games we are most anticipating in 2023 see you in the next episode